Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to spend time in your word. And Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, even as I had a conversation with someone earlier this week. Father, your word is always relevant. It is so timeless. It is so relevant no matter what's going on in culture. It always has something to say. There is no way that that can be the case unless it was truly divinely inspired by the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, today we place our trust in your word. We place our trust in the wisdom of the word, in what the word will speak to us this morning about where we are in our lives and what's going on around us, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in August, I started a uh, series uh, that I didn't get to finish until now that I want to go back and uh, finish uh, because I had some things that were just still on my heart. How many of you have, uh, sadly, let's be honest, how many of you have had an argument and then uh, you revisited the argument later (laughs) because you had some stuff that you still needed to get off your chest? This is not an argument, it's just a message, but there are some things that I still want to share that I weren't able to to finish. And so I want to revisit repentance. I want to revisit repentance this morning. And, um, And we were in the middle of a series called Whole Gospel. Whole Gospel, and what that series was focused on was the reality that often the messages that we are hearing in our current American culture can tend to be diluted, they can tend to be fractured, they can tend to be missing critical elements to the gospel message. Can I get an amen? Amen. Sometimes they're just missing things that should be there, and often what ends up happening is those things get reserved to the fine print. They either get spoken of, Uh, very rarely, not at all, or they're just kind of tucked in a corner and hidden. And so what we've been doing in this series is we have been revisiting what this message is because we need to determine what our foundation is. What is is the connection there? The connection is this. The message that we have all heard and received becomes not only the foundation of what we think the Christian life is, but it also establishes the expectation for what we think our life is about. And so it's really important to go back to the message, investigate it, to determine, okay, do I really know what this Christian life is really all about? Or do I have a very narrow perspective because of the message that I received kept critical elements out of it that I didn't know about? And so we are, we are looking at this uh, so that we can examine it and determine, okay, am I believing the whole message or just parts and pieces of the message? See, the message we have received lays the foundation from which we build our end understanding of who Jesus is, who we are, who others are, and especially what is required of us as we follow Jesus. Do you know there are things that are required of us? Okay. Do you know that those things are really hard? Do you know they're not often talked about? Because they're offensive. 
they're, they're not often talked about because what pastor wants to wake up on a Sunday morning and talk about these things to people that they love? So often, they just keep them to the side and say, okay, well, maybe the Holy Spirit will just randomly out of nowhere address that thing. Do you understand that when someone comes up and shares, what you have to understand is that, the whole, that often what we're doing is we are giving the Holy Spirit material for him to work in your life. We're giving him, we're giving him something to highlight, giving him something for you to consider, giving him something for you to think about and ponder about and, and wonder where you are in the middle of the truth. And so here we are, and we're in August, and we, we, we talked about this message, and what I tried to do in this whole gospel message is I tried to uh, take it from the angle of the needs that the gospel communicates. And there was one need that we talked about in the beginning, and it was the first need that the gospel communicates, our need for the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God. We see this in Romans 3.23. It says that all have fallen short of God's glorious standard. That means that, every, that God has a standard for humanity. God has an expectation for how humanity is supposed to live. They're supposed to believe. They're supposed to think. The choices that they're supposed to make. We have all fallen short of that glorious standard. What we call that is missing the mark, or we call it sin. And so what we hear in the gospel message is that we see our need for the forgiveness of God, but that's not the only need. And so the second need, more often than not, is the need that is less talked about, and the gospel expresses our need for repentance. Repentance. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 417. Now notice, this is the original author of the gospel, and the first time the gospel is preached, he says this, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, once again, I want, you to, I want to remind you that Jesus did not suggest repentance. He commanded it. He wasn't like, hey, repent if you feel like it, which none of us do. Right? If we don't feel like repenting, we're not repenting. We got a stubborn people in the room? Okay, I'm the stubborn guy in the marriage. All right, I'm, and it's not always guys. There's some stubborn women, but I'm the stubborn man. And there are times when I should repent and I just fold my arms. No. Repent. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. And what this shows us is repentance actually is to be the reaction and response that we have when we receive the message of the gospel. Jesus was showing us, this is how you respond to the gospel. But repentance is not just a one-time thing. It is actually an ongoing act for the lifetime of a believer. Because we're not wrong one time. <laughs> you know what humanity is? It's just a succession of being wrong a lot. We are wrong a lot. I can't believe I only got one laugh on that. But it's true. Matthew chapter 3, 8. Listen, this is why it's not an, a one-time thing. So produce fruit that is consistent with repentance. This is the amplified version, so extends it. Demonstrating new behavior that proves a change of heart and a conscious decision to turn away from sin. Produce fruit that is consistent with Repentance. Another translation says, produce fruit keeping with repentance. 
And so there are multiple reasons why repentance is necessary, but I'm going to focus on only two today. And the first is this. We repent because our hearts and our minds must be radically changed. Must be radically changed. I used the example uh, from my series in the month of August that if 17-year-old high school Caleb did not ever change, then who I am as a husband and a father would have been totally different. We need to change. We need to be committed to change. And here's the thing what, what makes repentance so difficult for adults is adults, get, part of being an adult is you get to a point where you don't want to have to change anymore. <laughs> How many of you are like, when I say we must radically change, it instantly emotionally just makes you exhausted. <laughs> You're just like, oh, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to change. But it's still true. You know, something that I have really become aware of in the last five years is how certain tendencies get cemented in my behavior. And I'm start, I've really been thinking a lot and being mindful of like, am I still moldable? Am I still changeable? Am I still willing to put myself before Jesus and say, do surgery? Remove what needs to be removed. So we repent because our hearts and minds need to be radically changed. Listen to me this morning. The motives of our heart, the ambitions, the desires, the goals, the dreams. I promise if you say amen, this will be a hard word, but it'll make you feel better. <laughs> Nothing. The motives of our heart, the ambitions, the desires, goals, dreams, thoughts, beliefs, values must be radically changed. And here's why. Because we're born with a sin nature. And that sin nature contaminates the desires of our heart and our thought and belief patterns. What we have to understand about the sin nature is it's something that we, that, is, that we have to undo for the rest of our life, that God is going to be done doing for the rest of our lives. There are thoughts and mind and behavior patterns and things right now that still need work in me because that is old Caleb wanting to be in the middle of new Caleb, wanting to rule, wanting to reign, wanting to have dominion over Caleb. And so we need our hearts and minds to be radically changed through repentance because there's an old nature that we still have to deal with. And sometimes we don't even know that this contamination exists until we're confronted. And here's why this word of God is so important. We often don't know the contamination exists until we're confronted with biblical truth that stands right in its face. That's why the word of God is so valuable. Scripture tells us of the condition of our hearts in Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is hope, hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out. And let me just tell you, including you. Do you ever think like, why do I even think that? Why do I even desire that? Because you're a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the matter. I get to the root of the, of the things. I treat them as they really are and not as they pretend to be. So Jesus commands repentance because our hearts and minds need to be radically changed. And there's actually a process by which we do this. this is, there's a process, a biblical process, by which we see our hearts and our minds radically changed. It's called the renewing of your mind. See, 
the heart changes first with dealing with the thought life. There is an interconnection between the mind and the, the heart. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. There's this connection. We have to start with the heart. The mind is the gateway to the heart. And this is why Paul commands us to renew our minds. In Romans 12, 2, renewing your mind. Now, I want you to, to hear this, and this is an important point. Renewing your mind transitions repentance from just being a feeling to now being an action. Repentance without renewing your mind is just emotionalism. And often, let me just be honest, repentance without renewing your mind, often the emotionalism will manipulate the person that you hurt so that you can get the monkey off of your back so that you can be left alone. But there is no heart change. Renewing your mind is the way that you take the emotion of repentance and you now make it an action. Does that make sense? And so it is how you actually bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. By the renewing of your mind. How? By the renewing of your mind. And how do you renew your mind? You focus on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove, demonstrate for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So that you may prove his perfect will. So that you may demonstrate for yourselves his will. The goal, one of the goals of repentance is so that as you live your life, from this transformation of your heart and your mind in alignment with the values of the kingdom of God, you are proving not only to yourself, but you are demonstrating to other people what God's will is. That was a mouthful, but I want you to understand, people are like, what is God's will? When you commit yourself to renewing your mind, what will happen through, natural, through a supernatural way is you will begin to become aligned with the will of God and the way in which you function in the world, people will be able to know what the will of God is through the way that you interact with them, treat them, choices, decisions, behaviors. So we, we do this process of changing the heart by dealing with the mind through the renewing of our mind. So we repent because our hearts and our minds must be radically changed and we do that through renewing our mind. But the second reason, and this is where we're going to stay for the rest of the day. The second, are you still with me? Yes. The second reason why repentance is necessary is because repentance is needed so that the body of Christ advance the mission of the kingdom. Repentance is needed so that the body of Christ advances the mission of the kingdom. So we need to be not just Christians, we need to be kingdom-minded, and they're not the same. Christians can have faith in Jesus, 
but, can't, but kingdom-minded people are people who believe in Jesus, walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, and they are thinking about their lives from the perspective of, I'm a part of the kingdom, and I have a responsibility to do my part to advance the kingdom wherever I am. So the body of Christ advances the mission of the kingdom. Listen to me this morning, because I, I, I got you to, I got to get you this, get this. There is no advancement of the kingdom without the body of Christ practicing repentance, because the advancement of the kingdom requires you and I to be in agreement about what we are even advancing in the earth today. And herein is a problem with the American church. We are divided about what we're even advancing because we can't even get into unified agreement about what is kingdom and what isn't. This is a problem. And this is why we're talking about this. And do you know that that is the absolute demonic onslaught of the enemy? He know, listen, we're so gullible. He knows how to stop the church. Let's just get them to fight each other about what is kingdom and what is not kingdom. Let's get the people, and here's the thing. Let, let me be honest. Let's take it another step. Let's get the leaders who are a part of the church that are responsible about teaching kingdom and not teaching king, kingdom to not talk about the stuff that needs to be talked about so that the body is left in confusion about what is kingdom and what is not kingdom. It's so, it's so off. And he knows it. He, in some ways, sadly, he's got the church wrapped around his finger, and that's why we need to repent. So that the kingdom can advance. So that the kingdom can advance. There is no advancement of the kingdom if we can't even come into agreement about what we're advancing. See, if Jesus were to stand before us today, what would he say is the mission of the kingdom? I would like to suggest to you that he would probably tell us that it is what the goal of what he told the disciples to pray in Matthew 6.10, which is his kingdom come, his will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus would not have told his disciples to pray that over 2,000 years ago if, if his heart was that, you know what? Put your faith in me. Just live your life, die, and then you'll experience heaven. You don't need it here. This is still his mission, that the kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but that does not happen if he does not have kingdom-minded people. we got to be kingdom-minded. Let me make it plain. The mission of the kingdom is to advance heaven on earth through the body of Christ demonstrating the values of heaven in the world. The kingdom does not advance without values. Because the kingdom clearly has values. Everything that Jesus did when he was walking the earth was to, he was the heavenly man. 
He was the only one that lived heaven to earth. We all live earth to heaven. He lived heaven to earth. He comes and he puts on full display what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is about people being healed. The kingdom is about people being delivered. The kingdom is about people being set free, cured of illness, sickness, disease, death, all of it. But it's also about cultural values. In my concern, let me tell you something. My concern because of a lack of boldness in the pulpit is that there are people that live their whole life going to church that don't have kingdom values that will think that heaven will be like what they think it's supposed to be. And I wonder when they get there if they'll even like the culture. I didn't sign up for this. Well, nobody told you because the people who should have the boldness to speak in the boldness of the Holy Spirit never addressed it. They never talked about it. And it's in the word. We're not pulling bunnies out of a hat. It's right here. Laid out in scripture. This is what Jesus did everywhere he went. As Bill Johnson said, renewing your mind means learning to recognize what comes from hell and what comes from heaven and making the choice to agree with heaven. That is the only way you will complete your divine assignment. It's true. Renewing your mind is recognizing what comes from hell and what comes from heaven. And there are things that are pervading the church that are hell-bent that we don't even recognize. Got to talk about it. See, practicing repentance through renewing your mind is how every believer can do their part in advancing the kingdom because when you renew your mind, your values begin to align with the values of heaven and you begin to live from those values. Here's my question. When you consider your life before Christ, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you grew up around Christianity. Your parents were Christians. My question is this, but I'm talking, about, talking to believers right now. Have you seen any sort of transformation in your values? Okay, now maybe you've had the luxury of being around kingdom values that are also cultural values. And the reason why you have kingdom values is just because the culture values it. My problem with that is this, is that when culture shifts, are your kingdom values going to change? When you gave your life to Jesus, did your values change? Were there things that you clearly saw, I'm wrong, this is wrong. And I believe that to be the way, I believe that to be right. But now I see another truth. Or have you made the assumption that you can follow Jesus and compartmentalize values that aren't consistent with kingdom and said, God doesn't care. Practicing repentance through renewing your mind is how every believer can do their part in advancing the kingdom. So what are the kingdom values that we need to agree on? What are the kingdom values that we need to agree on? Well, before we get to that point, there's something that we have to understand. We have to understand that more often than not, the values of the culture that we live in will often be contrary to the values of the kingdom. Like, 
the, you know, like, have you ever heard a clash of cultures? The phrase, a clash of cultures? Okay, I know that if uh, you're Kenyan, you know a clash of cultures, right? Clash of tribes, right? There, there, are, there are places in the world where this is an ongoing thing. There's clashes of cultures. But I just want to, I'm just going to come out and say it really, like, simply. Um, the kingdom culture is not consistent with American culture. It's just not. And it's going to clash. There is a clash of the culture. Because as we were founded as a Christian nation by people who had Christian values or really valued the liberties of Christianity, we have strayed from that to a place where I would say that we are not a Christian culture nation by any means. or any. How? How? You know, statistically, they still say that, like, well, we took an American survey and 60% of people identify as Christians. Huh? What? What? You know what it is? I believe that they just put people in that back box because they just didn't select none. Like, identifying as a Christian in America is just like you have no affiliation, so you just are just religious. It's like that. We're, this is, there's a clash of cultures. So we have to understand that more often than not, the values of the culture that we live in will be contrary to the values of kingdom. We see this with Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. Look at Acts chapter 17, verses 5 and 7. Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are, are you still with me? I know this is so lighthearted and good. Paul and Silas in Thessalonica, they come here to preach. They're sharing the gospel message on the street corners. And I want you to notice how they're received. The, I, before we get to reading the scripture, I want to tell you, man, the culture just totally embraced them, wrapped their arms around them. I guess you could put it that one way. Um, <laughs> it says they broke into Jason's house. And the reason why they broke into Jason's house is because they just found the next Christian in the city because they couldn't find Paul and Silas. So they broke into his house thinking that Paul and Silas were there. When they couldn't find them, they collared Jason and his friends instead and dragged them before the city fathers, fathers yelling hysterically, these people are out to destroy the world. And now they've shown up on our doorstep. Wow. Was Paul and Silas walking around Thessalonica punching people in the face and saying, repent? Are they just door-to-door evangelism, some five-fold ministry? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. No, they are literally just going around sharing the values of the kingdom. And notice how the culture responds. These men who are ruining the world They're turning the world upside down. We don't want that here. And now they've come to our doorstep. What are we going to do about them? Because they're out to destroy the world. And now they've shown up on our doorstep, attacking everything we hold dear. Newsflash, that's what the gospel does, folks. It attacks everything that you hold dear. And for the rest of your life, if you believe in Jesus, it will attack it over and over and over again until 
Christ is your only firm foundation. Not your family, not your house, not your wealth, not your health, none of it, but Christ and Christ alone. It will attack everything that you hold dear. And Jason is hiding them, these traitors in turncoats who say Jesus is king and Caesar is nothing. And by the way, they wouldn't even say Caesar is nothing. Because if you see uh, 1 Peter, Peter says, fear God, honor the emperor. They were peaceful, but what they did not like was that truth was confronting cultural values. Did you notice that they said they're destroying the world? By what? By attacking everything we hold dear. First and foremost, that's not what they were doing. What was happening was that as they shared the gospel and the values of the kingdom, the people were resisting because they were realizing that the values of heaven would require them to part ways with the values that they hold so dear. And I want you, once again, I want you to make no mistake that there are demonic values in our culture. That God is not confronting you, he's confronting the demonic value. As Matthew Henry said on this scripture, he said they would have thought that the preachers of the gospel were mischief makers wherever they came because they persuaded people to turn from idols to the living and true God, from malice and envy to love and peace. They are charged with causing trouble all over the world when it was, the, when it was only the kingdom of the devil in the world that they were overturning. They were not coming for you. They were coming for demonic values in the kingdom that have been well and widespread that people have embraced. See, there are values in our culture that are absolutely contrary to the values of heaven. And my concern this morning as I share this with you is that we're proclaiming a gospel message in America that is diluted because it shares the good news of Jesus Christ, but never confronts the truth that there are cultural values that we will have to part ways with if we truly receive the whole gospel. Listen, for the truth is that there are values and beliefs that we have been born and raised with in this country and in this culture that are contrary to the values of the kingdom, and they will require us to repent because our minds and hearts need to be changed. They just need to be changed. And even as Jesus said, a a house divided by itself cannot stand. So what is, the, what is the enemy about? Let's divide the body of Christ. Let's divide the house. So they can't stand. They get nothing done. So what are the values of the kingdom? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to what I believe are culturally relevant things. These are culturally relevant things. Things that are most prominent in our culture today. Number one, what are the, the uh, values of the kingdom? Number one, the kingdom of God values racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity. It does. It values kingdom. Kingdom of God values racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity. Revelation chapter 7 Listen to this, verses 9 and 10. Now, I know that uh, this is what the kingdom of God values because of what John saw in Revelation. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God, to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Did you notice every nation, every tongue, 
all tribes, there will be no nation, tribe, or tongue that is not represented in heaven. Why? Because the diversity reflects God's creativity. God created every color, every race, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity. Now here's the crazy thing, is that this is where I see that the body of Christ is divided, especially, let me be honest, between predominantly white churches and predominantly black churches. It is an uncomfortable, it's an un, it is like, it's like we're in different lanes. You follow your Jesus off, I don't care if Jesus is white, black, or Middle East, I don't care. I did not surrender my life to him based on his skin tone. Santa probably ain't white either. Well, maybe he is, because, you know, he's in a European area. God values racial, ethnic diversity. He does. You know what? We're not going to be able to go to heaven and be like, where are the white people at? Where are they at? I, I kind of prefer to, you know why? And this is, this is my whole point. My whole point is this, that I don't want to wait till heaven for my values to become kingdom. Jesus said, or John said, when you see him, you will become like him. It will be impossible for you to be in heaven and not have the values that Jesus has. So when you see him, you may live your whole life having racial prejudice, but I'm telling you, when you get there, you'll start to love the people you didn't like on earth. Because when you see him, you'll become like him. He values the cultures. You know, one of the, let me just, this is an elephant in the room, but one of the things that is most difficult of being where we are is because we've been here for 57 years, and what has happened, this, this was primarily a middle-class neighborhood, and it was primarily a middle-class white neighborhood. It just was. I, I can say that because I grew up here. With, with, in the late 90s, it started to transition where we became more predominantly African-American, which I loved because I loved that culture. I grew up around it. I had so many friends that were African-American. I loved it. And here's, and here's how I know it, it, that experience was priceless because when I became a youth pastor, our youth ministry went from 70% white and 30% black to 60% black and 40% white because of the pricelessness of being able to be, live my life having experiences with African-Americans and knowing what that culture is like and what it's about. It was a beautiful thing. But through this transition, we've still remained predominantly a white church. And you have to understand that if you're an African-American or if you're from Africa, the leadership values the diversity and we want to reflect totally the kingdom. We want to do that. But what you have to understand is that there is still a schism in the church because when African, some African-American people come into this building, they're still uncomfortable by how many white people are here and they don't give us the time to know our hearts. It's just a reality. And here's my whole point. That is one of the problems in the kingdom because we're still racially divided and there aren't conversations about it. We're not talking about it. 
But it needs to be talked about because we aren't reflecting the kingdom of God if we're a white church for the rest of our existence or we're a black church for the rest of our existence or if we're a Messianic Jewish church or an Asian church and we spend our whole lives in this one church till we get to heaven because we don't want to mingle with anybody else in the kingdom. And then we get there and we're, we see him, we become like him. We begin to love everybody that we were divided from. This must not be. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Racism has no place in the kingdom. None. Let me just say something. Racism is not just white against black. It does not have a direction. It is any prejudice you have towards any race, no matter what race you are, and it's not justifiable in any way, shape, or form. No matter, it does, it's not justifiable. It's just not. I don't care if it's Africans and African Americans, because there's prejudice there. Asians and other Asians. There is, there is prejudice within the different levels, what perceived levels within the same race. Number two, the kingdom of God values men and women equally. What this means is that the kingdom of God has no place for toxic masculinity and toxic forms of femininity, because it's both. Women are not less than men, and men are not less than women. And do you notice that our culture is trying to force you to have one way or the other? It's the devil. Women are not less than men, and men are not less than women. Both joined together express the full character and nature of God. If that was not the case, God would have never created Eve in the first place. Because Adam did not have the full expression. Not only was it good that he was not alone so he could create a helpmate, but he also said, like, I love you, bro, but I actually need another gender to get the full scope and scale of what my nature is. If you don't like women as a man, you got a problem with God. You do. You only like certain things about God then. Equal value. The world would not be better if it was all women, and the world would not be better if it was all men. Toxic masculinity is any sort of thought process and behavior that demeans and disrespects the value of a woman in God's eyes. And toxic femininity is any sort of thought process and behavior that demeans the value of a man in God's eyes. I don't have the time to go all into these examples, but I want you to understand that we see very clearly God's value for both men and women, not only creation, but also in the way in which Scripture instructs them to treat each other within a marriage relationship. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, I already referenced it. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. That's not let us make a man in our own image. That's let us make mankind in our own image. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
We go on to see in other places. And by the way, every single one of these could take one sermon, and I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm trying to fit it all in. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be sub- subject. Be submissive and adapt yourselves to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. Unto the Lord. In 5.25 and 28, listen. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means that men in a marriage relationship don't have the right to just run the wife around to do whatever their wills and wishes are. Because it says the husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. Even so, husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife truly loves himself. That is so true. This, this, this masculinity and femininity in our culture, like it has no place in the body of Christ because they're valued equally in God's eyes. Let me just say something really quickly. Um, they are valued equally in God's eyes, but I'm just telling you in, in the scriptural order, men will be held more accountable and responsible than the women. They are held in equal value, but they are held more responsible because Ephesians 5 says that Christ is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, and there is a responsibility on that position. You just have to understand that, women. It's not a demeaning thing. It's just the order in which God created, and there's a weight of accountability and responsibility. And if I'm just saying that if you make it difficult for your husband, let me tell you something. In heaven, he is going to be the one that has to stand before Jesus and give an account for his role in your relationship, even if you made it difficult for him. There's a weight of responsibility. They are even in value, but they are not even in responsibility and accountability before Jesus Christ. Number three, the kingdom of God values God assigned gender and God ordained sexuality. And let me just take it a step more than our own desire to choose our gender or our sexual preferences. I knew it'd be really quiet because we don't talk about this in church. We don't talk about it. Because if we talked about it, we would probably see people leave. And my question is this, do you have kingdom values or do you have cultural values? Because if the cultural values shift, will your kingdom values change? Kingdom of God values God-assigned gender and God-ordained sexuality more than our own desire to choose our gender or sexual preferences. I'm talking about culture's value of people having the freedom to choose what gender they are, and I'm talking about our culture's value of people's right to choose their sexual preferences. But let me just say something. I am not just talking about transgenderism and homosexuality. I'm also talking about lust. I'm also talking about adultery. I'm also talking about premarital sex. I'm also talking about self-gratification. And I'm also talking about entertaining pornography because every one of those things is equally sinful in the eyes of God. It is. If we don't struggle with same-sex attraction or... uh, or, or, uh, 
choosing our genders, we tend to pat ourselves on our backs and think that we're more religious than other people, we're more self-righteous than the other people, as if we've never looked upon a woman lustfully. Listen. All of these are sinful in the eyes of God because of what Matthew 15, 19 says. And I'm sick and tired of seeing people on YouTube justify their sexual promiscuity by saying Jesus never addressed things that are culturally relevant. Yes, he did. They haven't done their homework then. Because in Matthew 15, 19, he uses the Greek word pornea, where we get pornography from, to talk about all forms of sexual immorality. And none of them in our culture today were not present then. Every single one of them. Homosexuality, transgenderism, all of it was relevant at that time. And he talked about sexual immorality being sinful in the eyes of God. But because we only read it in the English and never do the digging, we think that God never specifically talked about it. And he did. We don't have the right to categorize which sins are excusable and justifiable and which sins are inexcusable. Some of us listened to that list that I just said and thought, how can that be as bad as that? They are the same because they are both missing God's mark. And if there's anything that needs to be repented of in the body of Christ today, it is the fact that we all often create a personal hierarchy of what sins are more excusable than others without realizing that God sees all of them the same. If there's anything we need to repent of, it's the personal hierarchy we've created about what's acceptable in the eyes of God and what's not. It's all missing the mark. This is not, I'm not talking to the world this morning. I'm talking to the, this message is for the body of Christ because we can't even get on the same page about this. How do I know that? Because in New York City, look it up, there are churches in New York City that are allowing drag shows to happen in the church. In Seattle or Oregon, for the first time in the United Methodist denomination history, they hired a fully known drag queen as their pastor. And he's doing sermons in full drag and everything about the cross is just symbolism. And it's symbolism because when you make the cross symbolism, you remove the power of the gospel. And you allow your things to exist. Is he not holy? This is, this is where we are. But you know what? We're here because our kingdom values are actually just cultural values. And, and we see that our kingdom values were only kingdom values when the culture was Christian. And then as the culture changed, our allegiance was more to the culture than it was to the kingdom. Listen to me this morning. This is why we need revival. And let me tell you something. We don't need revival in America. We need revival in the church. Okay? America will come 
We need revival in the church. Listen to what Todd Smith, a pastor out of Georgia, said. Repentance is the currency of revival. Once there is true repentance in the church, there will be revival where men and women preach the uncompromising truth, even if it's uncomfortable. Pastors in America need to raise the standard and call God's people to purity and holiness instead of being swayed by the culture. Just because the world we live in gives us the freedom to choose our gender orientation and sexual preferences does not mean that the kingdom of God has the same values. And you know why I feel this so, so heavy on myself is because I don't know if, it's a, if I'm in a leadership position, but I have a strong conviction that it is in part my responsibility to give Jesus a pure, spotless bride. He's not coming back for a whore. He's coming back for a pure, spotless bride. He died for it. He wants the bride to be pure. And we can't deal with this mess. It's his wife. I'm just so, I can't, I can't deal with it. We're tolerating this crap. He's coming for a wife. And it's our responsibility as the remnant church that Redeemer's Church will be to stand for the values of the kingdom. Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such things, that she might be holy and faultless. This is the end goal of, of our repentance. And last but not least, the kingdom of God values human life, including the life in the womb. And to be honest, I'm just going to say this. I was absolutely ashamed of all of the pastors who've got a thousand member plus churches in the nation that were ghosts when Roe v. Wade was overturned. They didn't say a darn thing about it. You know why? Because as as Paul said, if I were Christ's servant, I would not be here serving men. There has to be a point of delineation where your loyalty and allegiance is to Jesus Christ and not the fear that you have of men. And I'm not, this is not even political because you know what? I hate the whole political system. I am tired of it. You know what? Because it, listen, the political system, whether you are libertarian, Republican, or Democratic, it makes no difference. What do you want me to stand for so I can get your vote? What do you want me to, tell me, Todd, what do you want? What do you want? I pr I'll give it to you. You know what it is? It is a glorified student council. I promise I'll put a Coke machine in the, in the lunchroom if you give me a vote. You think every Republican actually cares about babies? Stop it. The political system is so that people will leverage your values so they can get power. And stand, because listen, how many politicians actually ever even do anything when they're in office? Until the four months before they're up for election again. It is garbage. I'm just tired of it. Because they think that you are a pawn.
and they're using you so they, they can have power. I'm sorry, it's just trash. Does that mean I don't vote? Yes, I do vote. But I don't vote because I'm a Republican. Listen, if, if Democrats took the pro-life position, I'm all over the train. If it's liberty, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't vote the way that I vote because of my loyalty to a party. I vote the way I vote because of biblical kingdom values. And can I tell you something? Even when I vote, it still stings. Because I don't know if I can trust the people to actually do what they said they would do. I have no faith in our politics. I don't. It's a mess everywhere. You know what I do? I vote and then I get on my knees as Proverbs says. It says that the king's heart in God's hands is like a stream. He can direct it however he wants to do it. And you know why I don't freak out when the person that I didn't want to become president becomes president? Because he is in God's hands and he can direct his heart however he wants to direct it. If he did it with Nebuchadnezzar to call him and call these vile emperors and kings all over the world to tell the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple, he can do it no matter who's in the office. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because he can just... Turn the channel. Switch, flip a switch and direct the heart. It doesn't matter to me. But he values all human life, including life in the womb. One of the things, and I, let me just tell you something. I know that this one is com complicated. I get it. And I don't have the time to go into it. I really don't have the time to go into it. And you know what? Sometimes I understand that there are very real realities that cause people to make the choices that they make. Matter of fact, statistically, in the church, 25% of women have had an abortion at one time or the other. So it's a sensitive thing within the church. But what I have to, what, 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 what I have to just show you is that God values human life. He values human life. He values the child in the womb that is aborted as much as the kid over the summer that got, street, that got shot in an alleyway in Columbus. He values them as much as the person that dies in a car wreck. He values human life no matter where they are. Exodus 23.7, do not kill the innocent. That is pretty clean and clear. And I'm just going to say it. We started using terminology like fetus, and the reason why we started using it, to my belief, is because it dehumanizes the murder. It won't, it's like using a credit card. You use a credit card, it's not cash in hand, it doesn't hurt as bad. Proverbs 31.8, speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And listen to Proverbs 24.11-12, rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. Save them as they stagger to their death. Don't excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. 
one of the things that I think gets really convoluted in this um, place of talking about abortion is, you know, especially in the, the, the times of victimization, and that's when it's really difficult. Can we all agree that's a really difficult thing? Yeah. Like, it's not cut or dry. That is a difficult reality. Because you are actually, you are actually uh, wanting someone to give birth to something that they didn't want in the first place. I get that reality, but I also understand this, that when you make the choice that abortion is the only option, you actually take away the potential for that child to be redemption of what happened to you. And the victimization gets perpetuated. We will have no idea what God could have done through those lives. So we cannot neglect the fact that the enemy is working overtime in these areas um, with specific reason. Let me just say something. Let me just say something. See, racism targets God's diversity in humanity. Every single one of these things that we're dealing with culturally is actually fighting, it is fighting against removing God's fingerprint on humanity. If you can destroy gender, then we no longer see male and female. He created them. And listen to this. Do you know that when the enemy sees you, what he sees is Jesus? Because you are created in his image and his likeness? Do you know that he also prowls around like a roaring lion on the earth? So wouldn't it make sense that the enemy would love for the earth to be as depopulated as, as it could of, of who he is reminded of that he's not? If I can prevent as many people who remind me of who I am not from coming into the earth, then I don't have to be reminded that I am not God. It is an agenda of the enemy to remove God's fingerprint on those who are created in his image and his likeness. And this is where I close. This is what's at stake if we do not bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 2 Chronicles 7:14. And my people who are called by my name will humble them, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from what? Their wicked ways. That's repentance. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Will heal their land. That they will not, he will not heal your land, he will heal their land. You know what that means? That means this. So goes the church, so goes America. The reason why we are where we are as a culture is because of the, un, uh, the dividedness of the church not being able to agree about advancing the kingdom because we can't even, det- we can't even agree on what's kingdom and what's not. The land is at stake when we fail to repent. Now, let me just close here. You can stand with me.
by show of hands, how many of you loved me before the sermon? I'm kidding, don't do that. (laughs) 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 That was funny. Um, You know, there may be some of you that are mad at me or frustrated or angry. I might have stepped on your, your toes. But I want you to understand that if you love me before this, it came from the same person. Yeah. It came from the same person. And I'm not, and you know what? I, 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 it's not like I'm going to, I'm not going to come up to everyone in the room like, did you transform? Okay. Did you, do you have all these kingdom values? I need to know. It's not about that. It really isn't. My responsibility is to be Christ's servant. Christ's servant, not trying to gather as many people as possible who have itchy ears to hear sermons that they will like so they can feel better. Because that's not what transforms the heart. You know, we talked about, and can I just say something? In addition, I'll end here because I've said that a couple of times. I'm not on, like, Facebook stalking everybody's political affiliations either. I don't even know where anybody stands, so I'm in here blind preaching this. I really don't know. So I really don't know who I've offended or not. (laughs) Regardless, is this eternal truth or not? Is it eternal truth or not? Because it's our responsibility to be salt and to be light. And the darker things get, the brighter we need to shine. Will you just bow your heads with me? Jesus, for those in the room that maybe are frustrated because I didn't even talk about other things. Maybe they have questions, they have concerns, maybe they thought I was too harsh, whatever it would be. God, I just pray that you would help them filter through it. And Lord, I know that maybe there are some of us in here that this really was was pushing on them, pressing on them. It might have felt aggressive. Lord, I pray that you, by your grace, would help them navigate through how to make the decisions that need to be made. And Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that Redeemer's Church would be a repentant church. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that in the future, God, as culture shifts and values change, God, I pray that we would be faithful and loyal and our allegiance would be to kingdom value. Lord, that our kingdom values would not coincide with culture because if culture gets better, I pray that we would not become kingdom citizens because culture has changed, but we would be loyal and faithful to the word of God through every different season that we are going through. Father, I pray over the Jacobs in the room that have been wrestling with God over these issues. And I pray that even if on the other side they walk with a limp, that they would know you're faithful and you're good. God, we love you. And Lord, I pray that even in the midst 
of this time, Lord, we would live up to our statement that we would love you and we would love people, God. And we would do it well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.